This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of today? Well, we are joined by a pretty brilliant person here who's in the Guinness Book of World Records. His name is Howard. Stephen Berg. Howard Stephen Berg is recognized as the world's fastest reader thanks to the cutting-edge accelerated learning techniques he developed that turn information overload into information assets. Respected internationally for his contribution to the learning process, he is listed in the 1990 Guinness Book of World Records for reading more than 25,000 words a minute and writing more than 100 words a minute. Howard uses his talents to train you on how to stay on top of the information your success depends upon. Howard is a graduate of SUNY Binghampton, where he majored in biology and then completed a four-year psychology program in one year. His graduate studies at several New York City colleges focused on the psychology of reading. Howard is the spokesperson for the Sony e-reader, along with Justin Timberlake, Peyton Manning, and Amy Sedaris. He is also a featured guest on Fox News and Fox Business News with Neil Cavuto. He launched the 4G network for Optus, the second largest phone company in Australia. Howard has appeared on over 1,100 radio and television programs, including Neil Cavuto, Jon Stewart, and Live with Regis. His brain-based learning strategies have been hailed as a major breakthrough in publications like Forbes, FYI, Selling, Men's Health, Red Book, and Bottom Line Magazine, and have been featured in dozens of newspaper interviews throughout North America. Howard has created more than 14 other accelerated learning programs, including Speed Math and Memory, Berg's Time Warner Book. Super Reading Secrets is in its 28th reprint, and Barron's Books requested him to write a text for students. Howard's Nightingale Conan program, Mega Speed Reading, grossed over $65 million and established him as a leader in brain-based learning. He is mentioned in a number of books as a leading expert on brain-based learning and has been honoured by over nine books that track outstanding professional performance, including Who's Who Among Emerging Leaders and 2,000 Notable American Men. Just wow, Howard. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. How are you? 
I'm great. Maybe I should stop now. It's that was it was uh, <laughs> I, I'm more going to live up. To. <laughs> well, my question to you is, did I read that fast enough? I'm a yeah. little bit neurotic right now. <laughs> Sounds like an interesting person. I'd love to hear the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Well, listen, Howard, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. I mean, you know, anybody, whether they're familiar with your name or not, everybody's familiarized with reading. Everybody knows the Guinness Book of World Records. You put those two things together and boom, there you've got Howard Berg here on radio. So, you know, I'm unscripted. I, you know, you did send me over a few things and I'll use that as a guide, but I just, sure. this, I feel it makes for a much more authentic, organic conversation. So as I do with most guests, Howard, I'm really interested, as I know the listeners will be too, and eventually the podcast subscribers, please take us back to the inception of this journey. How did this come to be? How did you know that you in fact had this skill? Was it something that was identified for you by a teacher, a parent, or was it something that you came to realize as compared to your peers in school, perhaps that you had a bit of a gift here? What started in Brooklyn, I Grew up in the projects in East New York. Not a great place to grow up. A lot of gangs, and uh, I, mean, I was pissed. My dad was pistol whipped. I had not. I, it was sort of like West Side Story without the dancing and the music. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met Bernardo. He had a knife. He wasn't smiling. <laughs> and that was literally. I had a knife to my throat. I was beaten with bats. It was normal. It was a normal day for where I grew up. Well, I found one safe place. The, the library. Gang kids would rather be dead than caught in a library. Right. So I read. I read a lot. I had college reading when I was 11. Then I went to college at 17 to major in biology, as you said, at the State University of Binghamton. And then in my junior year, I read a book about the brain. And I said, that's the branch of biology I want. The It's called psychobiology, not psychotic biology. That's a different <laughs> subject. Psy psychobiology, the biology behavior. I only had one year left. So the dean said, well, you can't do that. You haven't had any courses. You have to take a four-year program in a year. And frankly, you're not smart enough. You have to take six science courses, two four-hour labs. Lab reports back then were on slide rules, so it took 16 hours. So it was 40 hours of lab, 18 credits of science. And to make it fun, I had three part-time jobs. And he said, wow. there's no way you could do it. And it's when I decided I would do it anyway. They don't teach learning in school. They don't tell you why you remember a song, you hear it once, and then you read the seven habits of highly effective people, and the next day you don't know any habits. So, I start <laughs> learning. So, I, so I'm like, how can we learn things that matter? So I started uh, learning about the brain and learning. So I used it. I got up to 80 pages a minute, did a four-year program in one year, and then I took the graduate record exam in biology. So in three nights, I reread 40 books like genetics, cell physiology, biochemistry, embryology. And I got three questions wrong. So when people say, do you remember anything? Well, I got three questions wrong. I was in the 99th percentile in the world. And then I was wondering, was it just me? Or was it just a learnable skill? So I got a group of kids together, 11 to 15, taught them how to do it. They did a 30-chapter book in lifelong developmental psych, a sophomore college course in one week. And 15 out of 18 took the clapped the AP test and passed it in a week. So I said, now, now I got something that can help make a better world. It's not just that I'm doing it, but it's teachable. I mean, a lot of the records, nobody else can do it. I mean, there, how many, how many fish you could swallow, or how many people you could shove in a phone booth. 
<laughs> There's so much you can do with that, you know. But reading and learning in a, in a knowledge-based economy that could actually make a difference. So I'm really excited about what I've done, and more excited about the things that other people have done as a result. Fantastic. Well, let me ask you this because. You know, I mean, I've been an avid reader my entire life. I read people's books that now get sent to me before I showcase them on radio. You know, I read with my kids for their homework. I'm an author myself. I'm a blogger. I do all this stuff. Um, But I can remember back in the day, you know, preparing for exams for both college and university, uh, graduate of both. And, you know, your eyes go cross-eyed over a period of time because you're trying to condense a lot of content in a short, in a finite period of time. You're trying to do the research. You're trying to take responsibility. You're trying to be vigilant. But I'll be honest with you, Howard. I mean, I need to ask you, to what degree are you actually retaining and processing what it is you're reading at such an expedited speed? I, I can actually give you a specific I was on the morning exchange in Cleveland and I read an 1180 page book called the underground empire where crime and punishment meet. And I read it in 20 minutes and they tested me and I got a hundred. And then I was on again, three years later and it's a goof. They said, we're going to test you on the book you read three years ago. And I got a hundred on the second test. So I'm going to say, I remember pretty well. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Now let me ask you this then too, because does having the skill set that you have that you now resource out for other people to also become equally empowered to acquire the skill and fast track things, um, you know, is this, is there a correlation between that and having overall, generically speaking, a photographic memory? I don't have a photographic memory. I have to consciously want to remember the way the brain works is two primary mechanisms for memory. One is emotion. You have a child, you remember it. You you graduate college, you remember it. You get married, you remember it. Some people may not want to remember it. (laughs) I tell everyone my first marriage was a storybook marriage. Unfortunately, Stephen King wrote the book. That's that's another interview, but I have a very nice wife now. Lovely. uh, We remember things that put strong emotions around them. Uh, and the other thing is repetition. Yes. So repetition takes time, but there are things we can do to accelerate it. And I'll, I'll probably have some time during the interview. I'll teach you a few of these strategies so you can see how they work. But no, I don't have a photographic memory. I have to actually consciously desire to learn. Nor would I want a photographic memory. I don't want to remember everything. That's a waste of my time and resource. I want to remember everything I need to know. True. One of the problems people have is they don't know what they need to know. And so they try to learn everything and they end up learning very little what they needed and a lot of garbage that doesn't serve any purpose. And to me, that's very inefficient. So I think one of the first things we need is a goal, a purpose, so that we know what we're looking for. We know when we found it. Rather than just trying to learn everything that's there, that probably will not be very helpful to our to our future endeavors very true very true now you would know this as well as anybody on the face of the planet 
So not everybody's skill set or strengths is in fact what they actually love doing. It's not necessarily what they would classify as their passion, but people tend to stick out what they know they do well at or what they excel at. So even though you've got the skill, even though you're recognized on the global stage, is this in fact something you truly enjoy doing? Or if you had a choice of doing something else that you could equally specialize in, would it be something other than what it currently is? I don't like to read. I, lo- I like to learn. I'll give you a good example of what I mean. About okay. 15 years ago, my wife wanted to go to Hawaii, and I was lecturing on cruises, and they had a cruise to Hawaii, and they said they didn't want speed reading. I'm like, well, what do they want? That's kind of <laughs> what I wanted too, right? They said, they want Photoshop, video, and photography. So I said, well, I teach that. I didn't know any of it. I, I, had, I didn't even know what Photoshop was. I'd never seen it. And the cruise was in 10 days. I said, yeah, I could do that. And so I bought 10 books on Photoshop. I read them in three hours. I learned Photoshop. Then the wow. next day, I read 10 books on video. In three hours, I learned video. Next day, I read 10 books on photography. In three hours, I learned photography. So I go to the cruise. And I'm like, please let these people not know what a camera is. That's my perfect audience. <laughs> you know, that was my dream. You know, and the first guy comes in, he says, I'm a professional photographer 38 years. I hear you teach photography. I said, Yeah. The next guy comes in, he says, I've been doing Photoshop five years. I hear you teach Photoshop. My wife's sitting in the front crying because they said if I didn't <laughs> do it, they throw us off the boat. Not in the water, but when we got to shore. So right. for a week, I'm teaching these people Photoshop and photography. At the end of the week, they're like, how many years have you studied to learn all that? And I could say I learned it in three hours last week. That's what I like. To me, reading wow. a screwdriver, a hammer, a saw, you, you don't get excited over a screwdriver, but the things that you make with it are exciting. Reading is a means to an end. It's the information, the knowledge I gain, the skills I develop. That's what's important to me, not the reading itself. It's just a tool. Okay, that's very interesting. Well, based on what you've just said then, one, I'm sure you nauseate a lot of people who have taken years out of their life to specialize on something that they think is a niche market or something that is their specialty. And then you come along and you're like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, I just studied this in three hours and and I just monetized the shit out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, then I tell them, well, now I can teach you how to do it. And you can do the same thing with more things. So you're building on your skill set. And right. you think about it, that's how people get rich. Everyone saw a cell phone and Steve Jobs said, I see a little computer that makes phone calls. It worked right. out pretty well. I, I, yeah. I, I thought it was a good call. He, everyone saw the cell phone. He didn't see the cell phone. He saw the little computer. So yeah. basically what the difference is between success and failure is seeing what everyone sees differently. And Beautiful. Well put. Well put. You you have more information, you see things differently. I've read 30,000 books, so I'd like to think if I'm an idiot, I'm all informed. Okay, well, let me ask you this on a very micro level for what you specialize in. Like, say, for example, you and your wife go to a restaurant, you know, the the waiter's handing you the menu, wants to ask you first if you want a glass of water or something to start with to drink because most people need to take time to peruse the menu. Do you freak these waiters out and other people in those kind of similar type situations where you're like, no, okay, just read it, just scanned it. And this is what I'll have. And meanwhile, your wife's like, uh, yeah, I need 10 minutes, please. <laughs> actually, actually, that's pretty close.
close to the truth. I, 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 when I go to a restaurant, I know what I want to eat before I get there. So I kind of have like my staples. I know I like chicken parmesan in a, an Italian restaurant. I like a hamburger in this restaurant. So I kind of know what I'm coming for. My wife's like, I'm not ready. You can come back. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've learned to be happily married. You shut your mouth and you wait for her to tell you, I'm ready now. And that's when you make your order. Wow. Okay, so let me ask you this, because pretty much the whole world is your demographic here, so, uh, and your potential client. But in terms of, you know, going back to grassroots of being in Brooklyn, you know, all of this resonating from trying to avert, you know, dodging a bullet or a knife, so that put you in the library. (laughs) Um, You know, have, have you gone back now, or are you still there, and are you, like, trying to reach out to people who are incarcerated? Are you reaching out to people who are on the cusp of possibly getting an education versus going with the peer pressure of getting involved in a, in a gang. Like, what are you doing to recognize to what degree the people who are from your stomping ground still could benefit from the educational tools that you have? Actually, several things. Right now, on September 7th, I'm going to be training the Wounded Warriors. I was training the Green Berets last spring, and they told me how 20... 22 of these young people kill themselves every day because yes. they can't find work. I said, well, they got the GI Bill. They said, well, they don't know how to study. I said, well, I could teach them that in four hours. They said, well, they have no money. I said, I'll do it for free. So on September 7th from 12 to 4, I'm doing a free four-hour class just for Wounded Warriors. If anyone knows one, send them to berglearning.com, B-E-R-G learning.com. And there's a link for the Wounded Warriors. They click on it, and I will train them so they can go back to school and get a job and not have to kill themselves. That's one thing I'm doing. Uh, I was just hired by the White Bead School District to train all the students and teachers. And the mayor of Lawton, Oklahoma, wants me to come there in the spring and do it there. And uh, I'm going into 40 countries around the world with a company called Dendrite. And I'm um, doing it in India with another partner. So I'm, I'm trying my best to, uh, to reach as many people as I can. As I told the Green Berets, people who have good jobs, make a lot of money, have happy families, nice homes, don't blow themselves up. So mm-hmm. my job is to help create a world where <clears throat> people have something to live for. So they won't do something stupid and they won't have to shoot them. So, well, you know, if they go crazy, you have to take care of them. That's different. But it's my my job is to try to make your job easier. So there's less people that you have to go looking for because they have a better world and a better life. And I kind of feel it's my karmic responsibility. When I got out of college, I became a yogi. I lived in an ashram on weekends and studied consciousness. And I'm not involved in it as much now, but it rubbed off on me. And I really feel when you have an ability to make a difference, you also have a responsibility to do it. So yes. That, and that's kind of where I'm coming from. So I try to help as many people as I can. In fact, what I've been doing in a lot of the, I'm a Rotary president last year and this year I'm a secretary. But when I do Rotary clubs, when I'm done, I give my program to all their kids that they have. And then if anyone buys my program, I donate for a year my learning, my reading program to the local school at no charge because they don't have any money. So as long as I'm making enough money to pay my bills, I'm able to, help more people and I give my program to the school as a gift. And and that's how I'm trying to help. They have to pay bills somehow. So 
I, mm-hmm. I tell them I pay it forward. You'll help you, your kids, your family. You'll make more money at work. But we'll help these other kids that have no money and have no future have have a future. And 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 that is a very very important part of what I do. For me, it matters. It matters mm-hmm. a lot because I was there. I know what it feels like to not know what's going to happen and feel hopeless. You know, it was really, really a difficult childhood. So I can relate to what these yeah. people are going through. And I feel, you know, I was in a dark place and I was fortunate enough to find a way out. So I feel now I have a responsibility to go back and help other people in that same position get out of their dark place. And that's what I try to do. Beautiful. Well, not try. You're actually doing it. So kudos to you. And in fact, everybody who's been showcased on my show for almost the past five years, the one thing that we all share in common in the common denominator, regardless of how diverse people's skills, talents are uh, for who I interview, is we're all about paying it forward and being of service. And when you can tap into what it is you're good at, what you're skilled at, what you feel purpose-driven to do, uh, then yeah, I mean, the money starts to show up and then you can start to pay it forward and to be of service. And, and this is what we do in terms of re- remind, remaining mindful of our humble beginnings, right? Yeah, I'll give you some examples. I, I had a school, so one of my kids graduated UTA, uh, University of Texas, um, Arlington at 16 with a 4.0, majored in economics, went to Oklahoma University at 18 for a master's in math, graduated at 19, with 397 GPA. He's now a professor at Yale. Another one went to medical school at 19. Another one uh, became, was a C student at 11 and an English professor at 22. Another became an attorney at 19 in California. Wow. And just goes on and on. And like I'm seeing like that's my legacy that there's a lot of problems in the world and we need solutions. And if I could help more people learn and understand, connect more dots, these people will find solutions. Uh, I can't find all the solutions, but I can help them become better at what they do so they can do it. And I kind of feel that's what I'm supposed to do is, is I just trained the Royal Thai Army uh, in Bangkok. And I just feel really fortunate. I've been able to do these things and meet interesting people and my goal is always to try to leave the world a little better than I found it. I've got to be Fantastic. honest, when you read the news, I don't think anyone feels there's too many smart people making too many good decisions. I'm not pointing <laughs> any fingers at anyone, but I don't think anyone said that there's too many smart people making things go so well that that's our biggest challenge. I, I just don't see it. So I think that the answer isn't blowing people up, but empowering them for success through learning and understanding, and that will make a better world and 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 build and build more rapport amongst the different cultures, and that's what I'm working on doing. Absolutely. Well, you touched upon something that I I, I want to really impress upon the the listening audience because you you made reference to a very good point. I mean, there's a lot of so-called very, um, and there's different ways of being educated, you know, some of it's academia, some of it's self-taught, some of it's hard knocks of life, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of people who occupy a lot of different, um, 
positions under the guise of leadership. And we are starting to see some people would notably argue uh, that, you know, every generation says it's the worst generation in terms of weather, in terms of global warming, which now has a name for it, uh, you know, violence, shooting, guns in particular. Right. Um, you know, every every generation thinks it's the worst or Armageddon is like upon them. Um, you know, so, you know, there's 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 a distinct discerning difference between people who are educated slash smart or wise and insightful versus that of emotional intelligence. There's a difference between ran like different kinds of intelligence. And I know that you talk quite openly about emotional intelligence. So let's talk a little bit about that, how it relates specifically to reading and what we can do to further shift and elevate the consciousness for all of humanity. Would, would you like me to actually do it instead of talk about it? Would that oh, be... please. Yeah. Am I your guinea pig? No, the whole audience. You okay. enjoy it. I'll show you how to wake up. You know, when, when you're taking classes after work and you're tired or it's a long meeting and you're finding yourself drifting off or, you're trying to read a book late at night, something. You don't want to drink coffee because you need to go to bed, but you need to stay alert for another hour or two. I'll show you how to do that. Would that okay. help? Yeah, please walk well, us through it. So if everyone except you stand up, I'm pretty sure you're by a microphone and standing up won't be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can stand up. So I'm going to show you how to wake up. I want you to take your left hand, touch your right shoulder, and then your right hand, touch your left, and alternate. So it's sort of like the Macarena without oh, the music. God. Oh, God. Okay. okay. And yeah. you do the same thing to your opposite knee, left to right, right to left. And you'll see you have to think a little more. So when yeah. you do one shoulder at a time, it's left brain, right brain. But then you're doing both brain halves at the same time. One's moving the knee and one's moving the hand. Now, raise your hand over your head, squeeze your thumb, and say this like you mean it. I feel great. I feel great. And pull your hand to your side as you go, yes, with passion. Yes. Yes. We're going to do three sets of these. When you're done, I'll show you how to use this to create the state of alertness. So if you're a student taking a long exam or a business person who needs a burst of energy, you can turn it on whenever you need it. Are you ready? I'm ready. We're going to start with the left to right shoulder tap, starting with left to right. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Knee taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? Well, I'm a little slow on the draw because I, no, I no, thought no, you were no, going to. No, 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 go. I feel great. <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta explain yeah. this to you. Yeah. I gotta explain this. I don't know if I wasn't paying attention or your directions were just not that great, Howard, because normally I get a countdown on three. Okay, you're live, whatever. I you know, I'm waiting for three. Okay, start touching your left hand on your right yeah, shoulder. And you're on going one, one, two, on three. Do three you're sessions. going through to ten and I'm going. Okay, when do we start? And you're like, okay, now go to your knee. I'm like, oh my God, I missed a whole step there. <laughs> I'll go slower. Grab your thumb and say, I feel great. Yes. I feel great. I feel great yes. regardless, but thank Second you. One. We're going to tap left hand to right shoulder, right hand to left shoulder. At this, And then left hand to right knee, right hand to left knee. Starting with the shoulder taps. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Knee taps. One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, 
Hey, how do you feel? I, I feel, feel awesome. <laughs> yes. Now, the last one, as fast as you can go. And we'll do the shoulders <laughs> and then the knees. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Knees. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? I Simon feel says awesome. Yes. Sit down, <laughs> smile, feel great. Now, you know what happens when you do this three times? Nothing. So you, <laughs> so, so you probably would like something. So I'm going to tell you how to make this work. Okay. Remember Pavlov? He rang a bell, fed yes. a dog. Eventually, the dog drooled when he rang the bell. Well, you don't want to... Tap your shoulders when you're in a meeting. You'll look strange. But <laughs> the latest studies show it takes 90 days to make a habit. So if you go slow, True. medium, fast every day for 90 days, now you're in an important meeting or an exam and you need a burst of energy. You squeeze your thumb and you say to yourself, I feel great, yes. And your brain remembers how you felt. You felt more alert at the end because you stimulated the left and the right both together. You increased your your respiratory rate, got more oxygen to your brain. And so every time you felt more alert, you went, I feel great, yes. So eventually squeezing the thumb and saying, I feel great, yes, is your bell, you wake up. In the same way we could train you to relax, focus, concentrate. Would you like to know what I taught the Green Berets to be successful? Yes, please share. This is the single most important question you could ask, whether you're in business or in the military, when things aren't going right. And the question is, what's the next best thing I can do now? Not why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. Well, it's happening. And we have to always focus on how do I get from where I am to where I need to be? Mm -hmm. So how? what's the next best thing I can do now? Put your brain on a path for looking for a solution. Too many people are thinking, why am I a loser? And the brain tells them why they're a loser instead of <laughs> how they could be successful. Or why do I have to learn this? It's stupid. Instead of how can I learn it faster and better so I can do something else? What you ask affects the way the brain processes data. And so we have to ask questions that will lead to a positive outcome or else we're sabotaging all the hard work. You study all night thinking this is really boring. I don't want to learn it. And what your brain's saying, no problem. We won't learn it then. <laughs> <laughs> next day, next day, it's like, what happened? I don't remember anything. Well, yeah, you told your brain you don't want to learn it. It listened. So you really have to watch what you're thinking and saying when, you, when you're performing because those thoughts can make the difference between success and failure. That's emotional intelligence. Yes. That's, that's what it's about. It's being in control of the situation instead of a victim. Right. Well, and, and there's many variations of emotional intelligence, and there's certainly a plethora and a myriad of examples in which to cite. But the way it applies to you and for what we're talking about today, uh, you know, I appreciate that succinct messaging. So let me ask you this, Howard. Are you ambidextrous? I, I would say yes, because I throw lefty and I bat righty. Well, because if you're doing, if you're taking the stage and you're talking what you just put me through here, which I'm so glad this is audio. Let me just, I'm okay. so glad this is not, <laughs> okay. I mean, that was just so ridiculous. I felt like Gumby. But anyway, um, but uh, for you to be like really left to right, right to left and doing that repetition, 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 I instantly thought this guy's got to be ambidextrous. Well, I play guitar right-handed and I write left-handed. So I, I would say some things I'm lefty and some things I'm right. Now, I bowl left-handed or right-handed, but 
I wouldn't I wouldn't make a big thing out of it. I could get a thirty either way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a so, southpaw too. I don't know if that's ambidextrous or I just suck at bowling. <laughs> Well, I too am a Southpaw, as is my son, who's turning 11 next month. So, um, you know, and there's a whole story in that too. I almost, uh, they almost kept me back in kindergarten because I had this really, her name was Mrs. Angle and she truly was obtuse. And she should have really had retired long before she did. And she was one (laughs) of those people who back in that day, if you may recall, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm turning 48 in December. Um, but they had the rack of scissors and they had the green scissors that had the green rubber around them. And then they had the silver sister, uh, scissors for the right-handed people. And every time I instinctively went to reach for the left-handed scissors, cause I truly was, she would purposely turn it around so that the silver scissors were facing me. And you could tell there was that inherent applied pressure, like you need to take the right-handed scissors. And I was, you know, for as much as I can recall throughout most of my schooling, I was always left-handed. And uh, I was the youngest in the class. I was the smallest in the class. And there was a series of things I I guess I developmentally wasn't doing as quickly as my peers. But the left-handed scissors, that just threw her over the edge. And she wanted to fail me. Like, what teacher has somebody who's introduced to the school system for the first time in junior kindergarten where you're like, I think you need to repeat kindergarten. No, I think I think you need to leave teaching. I think you need to go. You, you, you <laughs> failed. You failed at milk and cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take my naps. I took many too many strolls to the water fountain to the bathroom. I oh. don't know. I don't know what the issue was. Maybe I didn't know how to tie my shoelaces. And you know what? Part of subconsciously why this reminded me was not just me thinking you must be ambidextrous but that whole Gumby thing left to right right to left it was like okay that took me right back to kindergarten (laughs) okay I was a teacher for 10 years in New York my job interview was teachers get killed here do you want the job and being being right out of college I'm thinking nailed it I should have run for my life, but yeah, like, yeah I did it. I, I scored I scored big on this interview. What she was saying is no one wants to work here. Are you sure you want this stuff? But I was I was 21. What did I know? It's like, yeah, 2% graduated. And that's wow. cool. 2%. Yeah, I, so I didn't get you... to meet them. Those are the ones you get when you start. Right. <laughs> So when you so when you became a teacher, this is an interesting because I'm trying to do the I'm trying to time map this. So when you became a teacher at 21 years old, you would have very clearly correct me if I'm wrong, Howard. You were already well into knowing that this was your niche, right? That you knew yeah. that you had yeah. a talent. Okay. Yeah. So so let's talk about how that translated for those students and what the schools pre like pre you coming on board faculty what the grade point average was and how many kids were having to repeat or they just got pushed through or whatever. Let's talk about some true stats. For okay, what it's actually you- worse than, you, than you're making it out to be. Um, they, I offered to teach this to the kids so they could improve their, their you know, 2% graduation rate. And they said it wasn't in the curriculum. So I was teaching biology and one of my kids said, I don't know how to do the homework. I can't find the answers to the questions. So I'm showing him in his bio book, which is, my subject, how to find the questions to the, 
And the answers, and the principal comes in, he says, what are you doing? And I told him, <clears throat> the young man wants to know how to do the homework, how to find the answers to questions. He says, we don't pay you to do that. You're teaching learning. That's not your job. Your job is to teach the curriculum. And he wrote down, I wasn't working. This was helping the kid learn. Oh, my I, God. Yeah, I quit after that. That was my final. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's enough. It was pretty sad. I mean, they actually shut the school a year later because there weren't enough kids graduating to keep it open. But uh, well, based on that, that mentality, years. based on the mentality from the top down, I mean, no wonder. I don't blame the kids. I blame that principal. Yep. That's deplorable. Yep. 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 I, I don't want to go off on a tangent. I could tell you stories that make your hair curl unless it's curly already. <laughs> no, it's not, actually. I could use a little bit of body and volume, let me tell you. <laughs> it was it was a pretty scary thing, but that encouraged me more. I started my own school, and I told you my kids were doing college classes at eleven, and they were doing it consistently, and that was exciting to me. Wow, that's amazing! That's amazing. So you know, I know you've got your stick, and I've got the organic script for how I roll out my show. But this is your opportunity to shine, and I am being cognizant of time. So let's talk about. The, your key point subject matters that you like to impress upon when you're being interviewed. So, you know, you can talk about the speed reading, why people use their hands. You, like this is your interview. Sure. So you go crazy here. Well, why don't I teach our audience how to read faster? That would probably be something they would like to know how to do. Sure. I'll get them about 20 to 40% faster in the next 90 seconds. Okay. So when this interview is over, get a book you've read, preferably nonfiction. So the only thing that's confusing is your speed, not the book. Okay. And read the first chapter with a timer for a minute at your normal rate. Nothing special. Just read the way you read and see how far you get. And then put a pencil mark in the margin where you finish. So, you know, that's how far you read a minute. Now the secret. Go to the second chapter. Use your hand and go from left to right margin with your eyes following your hand as fast as you could comprehend. So as long as you know what you're reading, go quicker till you don't. And that's when you know you went too fast. Slow down just enough so your comprehension comes back. And for five minutes, go one line at a time as fast as you could comprehend. And go back to the first chapter and time yourself for a minute using your hand as fast as you could comprehend. And you'll go 20 to 40% faster. Just doing that one change. Wow. Do you ever struggle with vertigo? Actually, I do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> that's, that's true. I, I, I don't know how you knew that, but yeah, I don't I do not do ladders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will, I, will, I will not be working on anyone's roof in the near future. I don't want <laughs> getting up the stairs. But, uh, you know, that's why other people have other skills. Now, would you like to know what to look for? Yes, please. There's only five things you need to learn. Because people often say to me, there's just too much. I don't know what I'm looking for. Would you like to know what the five things are? Yes, please, Howard. Vocabulary. About 80% of learning a new subject is the words. The words that are bolded or italic or underlined. They don't look like the other words on purpose to draw your attention. Second, the names. Who's in the book? What did they do? Third, any number, date, statistical formula. Fourth, the four, the five main takeaways in every section and subsection. And five, the questions and answers. So if you know every word and what it means, every person and what they did, 
the meaning and significance of all the numbers and statistics, the five most important ideas in every section, and the answers to all the questions. What else would you need to know? Okay, well, let me ask you this. Can I ask you a question here? Are you sure. still? Okay. So knowing that you have this skill, do you still feel inclined at different times? Maybe it's not even necessary. Maybe it's a moot point, but I'm sure other people who are going to be putting this into practice, it would be interesting to know. Do people still use highlighters? Oh, good point. No, don't use them. Terrible, terrible. Don't ever use a highlighter. Here's what okay. you do instead. Use your hand. You remember you're using your hand to go one line at a time. When you see something you don't know, put a line next to it, which says, I'm confused. I need to come back and look at this later. And put a star, an asterisk, next to something you want to remember. So what I'm really doing when I'm reading is looking for new things I don't know and things I need to remember. And then when I go back, I analyze the things I don't understand to make them make sense, and I memorize the things that I know are important. So... To me, it's a Swiss Army knife. Reading is for finding things you need to learn, study skills for making it make sense, memory skills so you can retain it when you need to, and emotional intelligence skills so you're in the right state to use it so you don't have a nervous breakdown taking the test. <laughs> and you don't remember anything. <laughs> you're, you're quite funny. Um, oh, I, have, I, I helped launch Comedy Central in the mid-'80s with – Dennis Leary, and I was John Stewart's first guest. Would you like to see why biologists don't get asked to do comedy? <laughs> okay, I'm going to take that as a yes. yes. Mushroom, mushroom walks in a bar. Bartender says, get out. We don't serve your kind. Mushroom says, why not? I'm a fun guy. Oh, God, that's bad. <laughs> I love you. That's, you know what? Because this is what I do too, right? Like people get so sick of my content and, and I want to show people that I'm not just one dimensional. In fact, I'm like fifth dimensional. Most people are 3D. Right, right. But anyway, I, I put that kind of crap up all the time and people think that I'm just completely bent. <laughs> but that's important. I was in Cavuto. I read the healthcare bill in 50 minutes. It was 1,500 pages. And as soon as I was done, I said, I got to do something to make myself look like a human being and not like an android. Yes. So, so I took a headband and put it on my head and splashed some water on my head, drank it, and like I just ran a marathon and then everyone <laughs> cracked up. But I just that's that's how you can relate to people. People need to know you're in, you're just a person. You yes. Know? And you can't help them if you if you come off as being something weird or different, they'll think, well, yeah, he can do it. He's weird, he's different. What about me? I'm not weird or different. And, I, and that's why I'm showing them, no, I, it, anyone can do this. We did a double-blind study where everyone doubled or quadrupled and had great comprehension. So it's not just that I can do it. It's learnable. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you have a pet peeve or do you find yourself getting, like, hot under the collar or frustrated when people who are a little bit more slow in their delivery for speaking – <laughs> and a little bit more methodical. Does that drive you like bananas? Uh, I, I'd have to say yes. Um, yeah, I thought so. See, yeah, I'll tell you yeah. something. This is the EQ that goes on on my show. Let me tell you about this because you sent me stuff and I'm asking you questions that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think anyone's ever asked you if you're ambidextrous. I don't think it, maybe people have asked you if you have a photographic memory. I don't know. And I've asked you if you have vertigo. And now I'm asking you if, you get frustrated listening to people who have a slow pitch. 
Well, I live in Texas, so you can imagine how that's working out. <laughs> oh, my God. And the gun laws hey, there are. Howard, how are you doing? <laughs> Howdy doody time. And yeah, it's just, you know, I, I, but that's part of emotional intelligence is realizing people are on different wavelengths. Yes. And you want to have friends and live amongst other people. You better adjust to them. They're not going to adjust to you. And that's just part of emotional intelligence is accept people for who and what they are. And being kinesthetic doesn't mean you're slow. It just means that you process information kinesthetically. There's lots of kinesthetic geniuses. But it, it can be a little frustrating when you're speaking to them because it takes them 10 minutes to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> I try. <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you this then. So we know you know how to read fast. You're in the Guinness Book of World Records. Do you do everything fast? Do you eat fast? Do you drive fast? Do you respond fast? Do you, like, is everything fast for you? Or do you know how no, to turn it no, on, turn I, it off? I shut it off. I turn it on when I need it and shut it off. You don't want to be in that state of mind 24-7. Um, well, that's true. You'd burn would you like to see out. when you're in? Would you like me to put you in that state to see how genius works? First, for an example. Are you saying I'm not a genius, Howard? Thanks. No, I'm not saying that. that. I'm saying <laughs> that I could show you. I could show you how to get in that state of genius, though. Well, you know what? I I think everybody who's good at what they do, they get there. It, it you know they they don't necessarily stay there. They don't reside there, but they have glimmers of it. Right. And, but I'm showing you how to turn it on. Would you like okay. to see? How Okay, actually, I, I was thought you were going to teach me how to turn it off. See, you're, you're insulting no, me. No, no, how to turn it on. How to I'm turn joking. it on. I'm joking. I'm joking. Go ahead. <laughs> there's, there's actually three states of learning. There's literal, implied, and inferential. Mm-hmm. Literal is what you see. Implied is what you're supposed to know already. Inferential is getting the meaning and significance. So if you have a pen or paper handy, handy draw a circle and put a dot in the middle. And if you don't, then picture a circle with a dot in the middle. Okay, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Okay, literally, what is it? I mean, oh, it, it could be a lot of things, and I have no, a no, very no, don't go to what a lot of things. Literally, what is it? Literally. It's a it's a circle with a dot in the center. That's it. You got it. Perfect. Stop. That's it. How interesting. <laughs> That's literal. How interesting is that? Be honest. It's very interesting. A circle with a dot in the middle. No, the fact that I pinpointed it was literal. That's interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> Again, I'm 5D, not 3D. Come on, okay, Howard. Okay. So mo- that's how most learning is. It's just words on a page. They memorize them. They don't know what they mean or how to use them, but they know the answer. That's literal learning. You don't really get it. You just, you could, you'll get by in school because you could give out the name, but you don't really know what it means. Right. And, Abstract, and, that looks like my breast. Right. On the applied <laughs> level... This is actually the symbol of the sun, and it is, in astronomy and astrology because they had the same origin. So if you're looking at a circle with a dot in the middle, it's literally in the, in the, in the alphabet of astronomy, that's the symbol of the sun. Right. It's a little more interesting than it's a circle with a dot. Now I'm going to tell you it's the meaning of life. And this is the way you would have been taught, say, thousands of years ago by a Buddha. And you know, they they'd show you a circle and a dot, and they'd say, "This is the meaning of life." And then they and then you would walk, walk out of the room, and you're like, "Well, what do you think it is?" So, so I'm going to explain it. Just this is inferential. 
third eye? A point is infinitesimally small. Everywhere you look, there's an infinite number of points. They're all invisible. So the point is the symbol of spirit. It's everywhere, but you can't see it wherever you look. It's everywhere and not anywhere at the same time. A circle is a boundary. Inside the circle is the self. Outside the circle is not self. So what it's saying is everyone is this one thing, spirit, that looks different, seems different, acts different. But at the center of everything is this one thing, spirit. So it's saying everything is one thing, expressing itself as many things, but still is one thing. And that's the inferential level. Now compare that to it's a circle with a dot in the middle. When your mind can look at something like a circle and a dot and see the meaning of life, then you could easily see how you can make more money in your business by being more innovative, write more books, solve more problems. It's the cognition I'm looking at, the way your brain is processing the image that's different. And what brilliance is, is the ability to switch that on, like Steve mm -hmm. Jobs seeing a computer instead of a cell phone. Was seeing a bigger computer, make it eight and a half by 11 instead of the size of a phone, and you have an iPad. And so that it's all about how we process information. And we go from the literal to the implied to the inferential. And this is something your brain could be taught to do like any other skill. It's a learnable skill. Well, and equally brilliant that Lisa McDonald sees a breast and a nipple here. <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, right, 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 right. But actually, yeah, that would actually be, that would be fine. That would be, um, certainly that would be the implied level because it is an image of that. That would be more implied than literal because literal is just a circle with a dot. I see uh, lots of things. I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good though. That's because you're a creative, insightful person. But some people's brains, they need to learn how to do what you're doing. It's what you're doing you've instinctively learned to do. Not everyone has that ability inherently, but it's a trainable, learnable skill. Right. I also see the tire on the Flintstones vehicle. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Although it wasn't round. I think it was I think it, I think it was square. If I'm not I know, mistaken. but you know what? I don't know what it is. I think when I did the, the inner circle inside the bigger circle, I colored it in. Not that you asked me to do that, or did you? But right, anyway, right. I did no, no, that. I did. That was you doing that. That's okay. Yeah. That's that showed your that. brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Would you like to see how to speed memorize? Because that's something you told me I could talk about something I do. I so sure people might want to see how to remember. I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. I won't show you how. You won't be able to. Then I'll show you how, and instantly you remember it backwards and forwards. Now, here's one important thing you need to remember. You remember 10% of what you read, but 90% of what you say and do. So when I ask you to say and do, do that, because this isn't just an exercise. It's a tool, and okay. you're using this tool for the rest of your life once you learn it. Okay. Okay. Here are 10 things to remember. Pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, and bowling pins. I'm pretty sure you don't know all 10 right now. You're probably right. <laughs> you, you'll know them perfectly in three minutes, backwards and forwards, effortlessly. Are you ready? I'm ready. The Greeks discovered thousands of years ago a shortcut for learning a list. Take a list you know, link it to the list you're learning. It takes less time. 
I'm going to bet that you can count to 10, and so can our audience. I think I'm on safe ground. Yes, you are. we got a good, smart demographic here. So we're going to use the numbers from 1 to 10 to learn 10 things super fast. Are you ready? Ready. A 1 looks like a pole, like a lamp pole or or a flag pole. It's a 1. So when I say 1, you say pole. 1. Pole. 2 is shoes. How many shoes do you wear? 2. What's 2? Shoes. 1. Pole. 3 is tricycle. How many wheels are on a tricycle? 3. What's 3? Tricycle. Two. Shoes. One. Pole. And if you're listening, do this with us. Four is a car. How many tires are on a car? Four. What's four? Car. Two. Two. Shoes. One. Pole. Three. Tricycle. I'm jumping on purpose. Your brain's starting to get it. Five is a glove. How many fingers in a glove? Five. What's five? Glove. Three. Uh, tricycle. One. Or pole. You're getting smarter. Six gun. They love them in Texas. I don't have one, but everyone else does. Six (laughs) gun, like a six shooter. What's six? Gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. Seven's lucky in dice. So seven is dice. Seven. Dice. Five is a? Glove. Three. Is a tricycle. One. Pole. Doing great. We're almost done. Rhymes work. Say eight skate. Eight skate. What's eight? Skate. Six. What did they love in Texas? Gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. Nine is the number of lives a cat has. So nine is cat. What's nine? Cat. Seven is lucky in? Dice. Five. Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Pole. You're almost done. How many pins in a lane in bowling? Ten bowling pins. What's ten? Pins. Perfect. Here's the numbers. Ready? One. Pole. Two. Shoes. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. Glove. Six. Gun. Seven. Lucky in? Dice. Eight rhymes with? Skate. Nine. Cat. And ten? Pins. And how does it make you feel? Great. So do okay, that when that's you- our show, people. Thanks very much. I'm going to go have a drink. <laughs> and here's how to use it. Here's how to use it. It's a tool. All Imagine right. you go to a hotel and your room is 314. You don't remember the numbers because you go to so many rooms. Three is a tricycle. One is a pole. Four is a car. Picture a tricycle hits a pole on a car. Picture that. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. A tricycle, what number? Three. It's a pole. One. On a car. Four. That's your room number. It's also pi in geometry. Yes, that's right. So the kids use it in school to learn science and math and history and use it in business to learn percentages, due dates, hotel numbers. And the zero is the 10 bowling pins. So now you have a way to speed memorize numbers. Okay, well, let me ask you this. That's amazing. And I appreciate that. That's going to help me out a lot. Um, with a lot of things actually but let me ask you this so because you are good at correlating things that make things retainable um, and because you don't forget things typically speaking you know do you lock into codes like when people talk about numerical and and luck and lottery and trends and patterns and things like that 
do you are you able to quickly succinct and and succinctly make those connections where you might perceivably be more so-called luckier than the average person who doesn't have the skill set? Um, I'm not going to say yes to that because I always lose when I gamble. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those people. I have to work for a living. Unfortunately, it doesn't fall on my lap. But um, like I, my program made 65 million in mid 90s. I didn't get 65 million, or I'd be in Fiji on my private island. <laughs> but but the program gross was the highest grossing reading program in history. So yeah, um, I, I can't say that's the case for me. But I do see patterns very well. That's why I think I was good in science. Science is a lot about perceiving patterns, particularly right. things that are very small, like bacteria or atoms. You have to have a very good ability to visualize and see things that are being described because you can't see them with your physical eyes. Right. Well, Howard, I'm just looking at the clock here, and unfortunately, we got to wrap up here. But listen, you have been super entertaining, super informative. You're welcome to come back here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald anytime. I know you've done 1,100 interviews, and I want you to be honest with me. Was this not your favorite? It was fun. I, I want to give people my website, though. Before <laughs> yes, I please do. Okay. It's Berg Learning, B-E-R-G, learning.com. And if they use the coupon, Lisa T- 10, they'll get 10% off. There's some free lessons there. Try them. Um, I personally help people. If they can't learn it, I make sure they learn it or I give them their money back. And it's it's going to help your kids do better in school when you make more money. And the older people in your life stay mentally fit because reading has been proven to be the best way to offset dementia and Alzheimer's. And you asked, I'm 70. So wow. I, I, I stay young. I keep, I pl- I'm learning guitar. I swim a mile in 50 minutes. I'm, I'm leg pressing 300 pounds. I keep busy. I don't, I'm not going to sit back and watch other people have a life. That's when you get, that's when you get old and you die. You, we had an 84 year old read three books in three hours the day after the course and a 92 year old double. So try it. Go to berglearning.com, B-E-R-G learning.com. Use the Lisa 10 coupon. And if you need help, we'll make sure you learn it. Tell this to people you care about. And please tell the wounded warriors that you may know to go to that website and click on the free link so I can help them get the whole four-hour live training so they will have a future. We need to help these young people. They've, They've given enough. It's time for us to give them something. Beautiful. Thank you, Howard, for all the ways that you continuously pay it forward and are of service. I just want to say on behalf of everyone, I appreciate you. Keep up the good work. And to my listening audience, I want to thank you very much for once again taking time out of your own hectic schedules for joining myself and my guest of this week, Howard Bird, here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Until next week, I wish you all my very best. Love and gratitude. Take care. All my best. Thanks again, Howard. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. 
Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.